You know what time it is. It's time to pop up a podcast, your weekly journey through the world of Yu-Gi-Oh! I'm Lance, your host and tour guide through this underworld of children's card games and plot armor, where the English dub will be smashed to pieces, overanalyzed, and mocked. Mostly from a loving place. Just a quick PSA before we get started. I'd like to make sure everyone who's listening is aware of some of the legal ways to watch Yu-Gi-Oh! online, as there are plenty, at least at the time of this recording. Netflix, Hulu, and Yu-Gi-Oh!.com are all viable options. If you know of any other legal avenues, please feel free to let me know. Now, let's prepare to enter the Shadow Realm. In this week's episode, I'll be reviewing Season 1, Episode 16 of the English dub, titled The Scars of Defeat. Spoiler warning, Seto Kaiba Inbound. Continuing with the unending night of story arcs, we open on Pegasus's castle with a voiceover from some gruff-sounding dude. We transition into the castle to find Pegasus himself drinking more of his... fruit juice, I'm assuming, on a video call with the Big Five. We still don't know yet in the dub that this is their collective name, so feel free to call them the Kaibacorp Board of Directors for now. The board are essentially trying to tell Pegasus how to fulfill his end of their bargain, that if he disposes of Kaiba and beats Yugi in a duel, they will seize control of Kaiba Corp and surrender it over to him. Still don't quite get why they're doing all this, but whatever. They try to tell him that now is the perfect time to execute their plans because Seto is MIA again, but Pegasus reassures them that it is best to wait because Mokuba's involvement will not be influenced by Seto's presence, and that he has his own plans for the young CEO and the technical knowledge he possesses. At this point, his Millennium Eye gleams a little bit, so you know he's planning something really bad. He also reassures them that Kaiba Corp is about to enter a new era and that they will all end up obscenely rich. Is this meant to imply that they will sell Kaiba Corp to Pegasus? I'm still just so blurry on the details of this transaction, and 4Kids is being extremely vague. Like, more vague than the sub at this point. Pegasus then stands up and walks over to a window to indirectly address Kaiba, saying to himself that their partnership is just beginning. Partnership being a relative term here, obviously. We then transition to a helicopter flying over the ocean, and inside is none other than Kaiba himself. He's inner monologuing about how the board turned on him after a single defeat. Pretty sure there's a bit more to that, but that's all anyone knows so far. So, I guess I'll let it pass. We then get a flashback to his loss to Yugi, because it's been roughly four episodes since we got the last one, and we all need to be reminded. Again. Just as Kaiba, again, begins to think that Yugi may have been right about the heart of the cards, trademark, he regains his resolve, citing that his brother is at stake, so he can't afford to doubt himself now. He also resolves to get revenge on the board of directors for crossing him and plotting to take over his company. We have another cut now to the gang, who are chilling in a field or something. Taya's asleep in a sleeping bag inside a tent, while Joey and Tristan are snoozing away just outside. Yugi and Bakura are a few feet away, sitting up, discussing the events of the night so far, no doubt. Honestly, so much has happened tonight. Remember, this is only the first day of the tournament, and the sun was setting just after Joey and Rex finished their duel, like, four or five episodes ago. Yugi comments that the Millennium Ring is glowing, and Bakura lifts it up. 
We then see that it's just one of its dangly bits that's glowing, but it's also pointing to something. See also not resting limply like the others. They discover that it's pointing towards the castle, and Bakura says it's almost like it's being tugged toward it. Yugi wonders why it would do such a weird thing, and Bakura offers up that it did a very similar thing the day they first met. We get a flashback to said day when Bakura first transferred to their school. He was watching the gang play dual monsters when the ring started glowing and pointing directly to Yugi's puzzle. Yugi then guesses that it must be pointing to other Millennium items, which makes sense within the lore. Too bad we won't get it for another four seasons. Bakura then asks why it would point to the castle then, to which Yugi replies by informing Bakura that Pegasus has the Millennium Eye. We get a soft cut to a later time. Yugi and Bakura are now laying down too, but Yugi is not sleeping. Rather, he's wondering why the tournament seems to revolve around the Millennium Items. Probably because it does? Florence told you just a couple episodes ago how having all seven grants you unimaginable magical power. So, isn't it feasible that Pegasus organized this entire tournament to acquire them all? Or at least some of them? As Yugi begins talking to himself about the spirit of the puzzle, they smash cut to Pegasus while he says that he senses someone's arrival on the island. We smash cut back to the gang, and a helicopter is rising above the cliff not too far from them. Presumably, the one being piloted by Kaiba from earlier. The helicopter wakes everybody up, Joey yells at it, or the pilot inside, rather, and when it lands, it is Kaiba. Who'da thunk? Yugi rushes to him and returns his deck. Kaiba thanks him and indicates that he will be compensated for all the trouble he's gone through. As he begins to amble off toward the castle, Yugi tries to stop him and convince him to stick with them since they're all heading to the same place. Why do we continuously try to change Kaiba? Kaiba will never change. He tells Yugi not to be so naive. He's going after Pegasus to save his brother, not to win some silly little prize. Joey apparently takes this personally, why, and rushes at Kaiba to smart mouth and possibly fight him. Seto easily physically disposes of Joey by throwing him to the ground behind him. As Yugi runs to check on his friend, Bakura yells at him to check his pulse for some reason. Like, he's groaning, sure, but he was just thrown to the ground. He isn't dead, dude. Anyway, Joey lifts himself up and Kaiba continues to explain that the tournament is stupid. Joey turns around and issues a challenge to the former world champion. Super smart. Best decision. Well thought out, not impulsive, or the wrong call at all. Kaiba attempts to leave while denying Joey's challenge, but he makes the mistake of insulting him, telling him to go find a monkey to duel instead. Third time in total so far, but first time since that arc with Rex. Joey then yells at Kaiba, calling him a washed-up has-been, which obviously gets under his skin. Yugi tells him to watch what he says because Kaiba's still technically considered the best duelist in the world, but Joey disagrees since Yugi beat him in episode 1. This spurs Kaiba up, as I said, and he agrees to duel Joey as long as they use the new system he has designed. You know, that portable one we saw him working on before he jumped out the window to his not-death. The one he grabbed instead of his deck before doing so. Joey comments that it looks like a flying saucer, which isn't completely untrue. They're clearly discs and look futuristic, at least for the mid to late 90s. As they set up for the duel, Joey slips one disc onto his left hand as opposed to his right, which is covered by his dueling glove. Kaiba then walks him through how to use the new system. Insert your deck into the disc, housing your left hand, and an automatic life point counter will light up. 
Then pick a card to play and place it on the other disc, the card reader, which is connected to the first disc, the deck recognizer and life point counter, by a rather generously long cable. As an example, and his first move, Kaiba places his battle ox on the card reader and tosses it like a frisbee. Once the cable reaches its maximum tautness, I assume, the disc stops traveling forward and spins in place to generate a hologram of the card. Kaiba, naturally, can't help but brag about the unprecedented realism of these holograms. It breathes, it snarls, my new dueling disc technology even simulates its odor. How in the entire world do you know what a battle ox smells like? Granted, I can't imagine it would smell like tulips in mid-spring, but there's no data for that that I know of. There's no way for you to truly know. Is it stored in the card somewhere? For his response, Joey plays Armored Lizard, which is weaker than Battleox, so it, of course, is destroyed, reducing his life points to 1800. He returns with the Flame Swordsman and attacks. Yugi cuts in, too late, to warn Joey that Battleox is resistant to all fire creatures, how is anyone supposed to remember this? So, no surprise again, Flame Swordsman falls victim to the Ox as well, dropping Joey's life points another 200 points. Kaiba plays the Mystic Horseman and Polymerization, which fuses his new horseman with his Battle Ox to form the Rabid Horseman. At this point, I would like to make sure I mention the fact that throwing the disc reminds me way too much of throwing a Pokeball. So, it seems like they were going all in on the Pokemon craze at this point. Joey returns with a bunch of weak monsters, one after another, dropping his life points every turn. Yeah. You teach him, Joey. Current life point count is 2,000 to 500 in Kaiba's favor. Not looking too good for Joey at this point. In fact, he falls to his knees, visibly exhausted from the duel thus far, and Kaiba decides to rub salt in the wound. That's right, Joey. Fall to the dirt like a whimpering dog. The sexual imagery here is palpable. And it only gets worse going forward. Taya cheers on Joey, telling him that he's basically the king of comeback victories. One, arguable at best, but I'll give it to you this time. Two, this is Kaiba we're talking about. If you aren't protected by plot armor or millennium item, you're doomed. Bakura and Tristan also chime in, giving Joey a renewed vigor. He stands back up and summons his new red-eyes black dragon, which destroys Kaiba's horsemen, reducing his life points to 1600. Kaiba preludes his next turn by saying that the Red Eyes is mighty, but its power pales in comparison to his own dragon. So, of course, he summons the Blue Eyes White Dragon and destroys Joey's Red Eyes, winning him the duel. Joey falls back to his knees. That's right, Joey. Stay down. Stay down like the sniveling, defeated dog I've turned you into. Dang, Kaiba. Cool it with the BDSM daddy vibes. You're making us all sweaty over here. The gang rush to Joey's side while Kaiba recaps the end of the duel and refers to Joey as a whimpering dog with his tail between his legs. Kaiba has an obsession with dogs? Or maybe he's just really into humiliation. The gang then try to lecture Kaiba because he went too far by humiliating Joey on top of taking his confidence away by defeating him. Kaiba responds by explicitly denouncing the heart of the cards, trademark, again, and saying that he must duel Pegasus his own way because Pegasus has every card ever made at his disposal. Don't think that's what we were talking about, but you do you, Kaiba. He also mentions that Pegasus uses something other than skill to win. He uses a magic stronger than any card, and Kaiba has witnessed it firsthand. So is Yugi. Also, Kaiba admits to the existence of such a thing as magic. Sounds extremely out of character. We now get a flashback to the Intercontinental Tournament in New York City. Date unknown. Dang it, I want a fact check. 
Pegasus invited Kaiba as his guest of honor, and a skilled hotshot named Bandit Keith, remember this name, made it to the final match against Pegasus himself. Keith is dressed like... like an American pirate. Leather boots, beige pants, probably slacks, red shirt, punk bracelets, and topped with a bandana of the American flag. True patriot. Kaiba also comments that even though Keith had played very well, he could tell that Pegasus was just toying with him, and Keith, of course, had no idea. During the duel, a kid in the crowd comments that he wants to be a duelist just like Keith. Seems innocuous. As Keith begins what he believes is the game-finishing turn, he notices that Pegasus seems mentally checked out and unenthused with the duel. Keith attempts to trash-talk him to get him to mentally return, but instead, he writes something on a piece of paper and calls the boy from the crowd over to them. Keith interjects, stating that asking for help is illegal. Pegasus assures him that he doesn't need help and informs him that even a child could beat him. Pegasus then hands the boy the piece of paper, referring to it as instructions, and returns to his original seat next to Kaiba in the crowd. Keith continues his turn, playing Garnicia Elephantis. Looks like an elephant obviously. The boy then says that when he plays that, he's supposed to play this in attack mode as he summons a different elephant-looking monstrosity to the field. The child then declares, in an unconfident way, that he's won. I believe what he literally says is, um, I think I just took all your life points. Keith, obviously outraged, snatches the piece of paper from him and says to himself and us that everything is there. The card he'd play, how to counter it, everything. Pegasus stands back up and walks over to the duel table. He raises the kid's hand and declares him, Sam, the winner. I know that they are setting up a lot of things. They're putting forth the fact that Kaiba knows Pegasus is doing something to cheat. They're also setting up Bandit Keith, who's going to come later, and his motivations for what he's going to do. But just a little bit out of context. How crappy would it be to have won this tournament, be in the middle of a duel with the creator of the game, and he employs a random child from the audience to beat you for him? I'd be angry. Yugi comments about how that story reminds him of the duel he had with Pegasus in episode 2. He then attempts to lecture Kaiba some more, but Kaiba says he had to test out his new system because he believes it's the only chance to free Mokuba. He begins again to storm off for the castle, and Yugi calls out to him, hoping that he manages to rescue his brother. Kaiba turns around to return the favor, saying, I hope you succeed in your endeavors as well, and adds that they should hope their paths don't cross again before this is all over. Foreshadowing. He then resumes his march toward the castle as we get a transition to Pegasus himself, who is watching from one of the higher windows. He asks himself, rhetorically, obviously, if Kaiba is hunting him or if he is hunting Kaiba. In this episode, we got to see Kaiba again. Yay. I'd missed him over the five episodes he'd been gone. But the bigger plot relevant thing here is that we were introduced to Bandit Keith, the American Intercontinental Champion with a short temper. Next week, we will be discussing episodes 17 and 18, Arena of Lost Souls, parts 1 and 2. But before then, query for the week. If you had a pendant that functioned as a sort of gaydar, but for other possessed people, how would you deal with it? Personally, first time my ring lit up and pointed at somebody, it'd be off of me faster than you can say, not today, Satan. Also, we already know how he makes me a little hot under the collar. But how do you feel about BDSM Daddy Kaiba? 
Or would you just say he's a bit too much into humiliation? Also, some interesting news for anyone who might care to watch me fumble through some video games. I have created a YouTube channel for the podcast, and will be using it solely for Yu-Gi-Oh! content. My first idea for videos includes Let's Plays for the Yu-Gi-Oh! video games. I plan on expanding into other content as well, maybe starting to talk about the TCD and the manga, but I'll flesh out those ideas later. Because it's a new channel with no subscribers, I can't get a custom URL yet, so I will be sharing direct links to the videos via Facebook and Twitter until I can do so. If you do not have a Facebook or Twitter or don't follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you can also email me and I will add you to a mailing list that I'll have until I can get a memorizable link to the channel. So go ahead as soon as you can and check out the channel, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you don't miss any of the hopefully awesome videos I have planned for my listeners, which will start this coming Wednesday, January 16th, 2019 with Forbidden Memories for the OG PlayStation. In addition to the actual videos of the Let's Plays, I will introduce the games on the podcast before I start them, and will be reviewing them on here after I finish them as sort of like tidbits at the end of episodes. Yu-Gi-Oh! Forbidden Memories was originally released in Japan, of course, with the title Yu-Gi-Oh! True Duel Monsters Sealed Memories in early December of 1999 for the PlayStation, now known as the PS1. It eventually made its way over here to the States with its obvious name change in late March of 2002, and later released in Europe just a few months later in late November. It is loosely based on the manga and anime series, and so includes characters from both sources. The bulk of the story takes place in ancient Egypt following the Prince of Egypt, name withheld, who will eventually become the fabled Pharaoh who locked the dark magic of the Shadow Games away inside the Millennium Items. While he is still Prince though, the High Priest Haishin overthrows the Pharaoh and the Prince sets out to free Egypt from his reign. There are some flash-forwards to modern times where the protagonist is instead Little Yugi, who must help the prince in his quest by acquiring special relics. You're welcome to spoil the story for yourself, but that's all I'm giving you on it today. I vaguely remember playing this one when I was a kid, but I don't remember too many specifics. I know there's a type hierarchy thing, like there is for all the early Yu-Gi-Oh games. Kind of like Pokemon has type advantages. I also remember that you get to choose the type of the monsters you play from two choices, at least in Forbidden Memories. Other than that, I'm not sure, but we'll figure it out together in the playthrough. I'm looking forward to fumbling around like an idiot in front of all of you on demand forever. Let me know what you think, or if you have any other comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to email me at itstimetopodcast at gmail.com, and follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash itstimetopodcast, and on Twitter at itstime2podcast. If you can, please consider backing me on Patreon at patreon.com slash itstimetopodcast. It will help me continue to bring awesome content to you guys, expand in the future, and give even more back to this wonderful community we are building. But, until next time, your move.